All right, if you've got a Bible close to you, open it up to Genesis 22. Genesis chapter 22, middle schoolers, you can head on up to your program upstairs. And online, you can get your note sheet. Uh, in, in room here, you can scan the QR code in the chair in front of you. Online, your host will get it to you. It'd be helpful if you pull out the message note sheets. Got some pertinent quotes and some points on there that'll help you follow along. We're in this series on the life of Abraham. We've come today to what could be argued as his most well-known moment, kind of the defining moment of his life. He's on Mount Moriah. Are you familiar with Moriah? If you're not, you need to get very comfortable with a real estate that God seems to lead his people frequently to. We'll be frequent visitors to this place that Abraham finds himself in Genesis 22. And the setting for this chapter is the opening lines of Genesis 22 say, some time later. So to set context, Abraham's 115. So a little different vision God has of retirement than perhaps we have. So he's 115, seems as if God's plan for us is if we're not dead, we're not done. So if you still got breath of life in your lungs, there's still plans and purposes for him moving forward in your life. So you may transition out of some type of vocational work, but when it comes to kingdom service and his purposes in this world, Abraham's 115 and he's just kind of hitting his stride. So I hope that encourages some of you look at and say, hey, maybe my best days are still in front of me if that's the case for Abraham. He's come off of, if you remember, God sent the divine go to him, Genesis 12, he was 75. So he's 40 years into this journey. So what we're seeing sometime later is a summary of decades, not days, in a life with God. You know there's a big difference, right? There's some things that only occur over decades of life with God. So what we're going to see on display here is, is a journey of 40 plus years of taking two steps forward and one back, of walking in obedience to God and then having times where it's disobedience, of walking in great faith and then struggling with great doubt, of having times where he's just really on it with the Lord and times where you're wondering, what in the world's Abraham doing? It's all of our lives, right? There's some days you feel like you're stepping forward and stepping up for Christ, and other days you feel like you're just kind of face down in a pile of whatever. And that's Abraham, 40 years of that. He bears the scars of the soul that come with decades of a journey with God in this fallen world. And that's all on display right here at Mount Moriah. And I want you to think about Moriah as this. This is the crossroad of surrender. The place where God comes to us and starts tapping on some things of our heart that really no other piece of ground quite gets but Moriah. And we're going to look at four kind of movements in Abraham's journey up Moriah that give us insight into our own journey. Because the question isn't whether we'll be at Moriah. Perhaps there's many in the room or online today that are right there at Moriah. If you're not there, just keep living is kind of the principle because you'll be there. And so I think Abraham's journey can give us insight for our journey. So Genesis 22 verse 1 to 3 gets us going. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God asked, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. 
when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So I want you to underline in your Bibles the last phrase of verse 3. He set out for the place God had told him about. The first movement we see coming out of Abraham's life, I'm calling a, a wholehearted obedience, a surrender to the difficult directives of God. I'm challenged by Abraham's responsiveness to God's voice right away, right? When God says, Abraham, he just says, here I am. Man, I want that kind of alertness and attentiveness and responsiveness to God that he just lifts up and whispers uh, a name. He's like, yeah, that's the Lord. Abraham's like, that's the Lord. Now, it's one thing to be responsive to the voice of God when it's, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with, I'm with you, I'll help you, trust me. Those are wonderful things to be like surrendered to, yes, Lord, and receive those words. And that's part of our relationship with God. And many of you have those experiences, and perhaps that was a week for you where God just reminded you of His deep love for you, reminded you of His presence with you, reminded you that He's for you and He's with you, and that it's whatever you're facing, you're able to get through it with Him. But then there are other times, like here, Genesis 22 the journey to Moriah comes with a difficult directive of God. And to get to the place where we're able to have some kind of obedience and surrender to the word that says, like, uh, forgive that person that wronged you. you know, that's kind of a, a difficult uh, directive. Reach out to the person that's ignoring you. Pray for the person that's betrayed you. Confess your sin to a brother or sister in Christ. Admit when you are wrong. Take ownership of what you've done to contribute to the mess that the situation's in. Or in the language of Abraham, leave your country, your people, your father's household, pack up from the retirement community in Haran, and get on your move, and I'll show you on the journey. And perhaps the most difficult directive here, cut up the wood, load up the donkeys, gather Isaac, and head for Moriah. This is the first movement in a journey to Mount Moriah. It will come packaged with a, a difficult directive, which we'll get into a little more details in a minute, but there's this a lot on the front end where you go, why would, why would God ask him to do this? It doesn't make sense to him. He can't put it all together. No doubt it had some emotional conflict deep inside. I can't imagine. I'm not sure if he, that we're not told if he shared with Sarah. I'm pretty confident he didn't give Sarah the full plan probably on the front end because mom probably would have gone off the charts on this one. So probably just let mom know, hey, Abraham, or, you know, Isaac and I are headed out for a day of chores, you know, that kind of thing. I kept it pretty vague, high level, I think. Because he's got this, you ever had that where the Lord's kind of stirring in your heart and he's calling you to do something and you just, and just, you just feel it kind of burning within, you know it's the Lord, but it, it's just really hard to, to do what he's asking you to do. Pretty good chance there. You're in a step towards Moriah. And now watch what happens. Verse 4. On the third day, so it's quite a journey to Moriah. The place that, uh, on the third day, he looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Here's the line I want you to underline. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Do you see that? We will worship and we will come back to you. So the second movement we see out of Abraham is there, there's an obedience to the difficult directives of God. He's willing to say, you know what, Lord, I'll saddle up the donkeys, I'll cut up the wood, I'll get on the way to Moriah, even though I'm just, I mean, it's just got to be sick, pit in his stomach about what he's got to do here. Yet there's this 
right here, I want you to see that there's, a, there's an eye of faith cultivated inside of Abraham from this 40-plus year journey with God. He's got an eye of faith to look at what he can't see. You know, that's faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Hebrews 11.1 1 is the one-sentence definition of faith in the Bible. Genesis 22.5 is a man of faith living out Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's a man who says, I'm going to look at what I can't see. Anybody been there? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into, I'm going to go to Moriah. I've got no idea how we're going to get through what we're going through. But we will worship, and notice, we will come back, he says to the servants. That's faith. That's a confidence that God's going to make a way when we can't see a way. Somebody here this morning is sitting in some circumstances, staring at some things, perhaps it's a Mariah journey, and you can't see what's on the other side. And right now, Abraham is a guide to you. And right now, it might be this sense of, look at what you can't see. Develop the eye of faith. Say, God, help me to look and to trust and to have confidence that you're going to come through and do something here because clearly, I have no idea how this is going to unfold, but I've got faith and trust not in Abraham, not in the circumstance. I got faith and trust that God's going to do something. We will worship and we will come back to you. Because Abraham knew what was in Isaac. He knew Isaac was the long-awaited son. Remember the journey? Abraham and Sarah got the divine go and got the message from the Lord when he was 75 and Sarah was 65. And so at 75 and 65, and told they're going to build a nation, and they're going to have a son through their own biology, yes, at 75 and 65, then their heads, they think, we better get after it then, we better get this moving. And it turns from 75 to he's 100 and she's 90 before Isaac is born. Whole nother principle, whole nother message for another day, right? God's timetable is not our timetable. He delivers on His promises generally speaking, a lot more slowly than we prefer. That's generally the principle with God, you know, like 190. And so Abraham knows what's in Isaac. He knows Isaac is the long-awaited son. He knows the nation of Israel is going to grow through Isaac. It's going to come through his bloodline. He knows this. He knows that eventually Isaac is going to marry and have children. He knows this. And he also knows God said, walk him up Moriah. And lay him on the altar and sacrifice him. Anybody been in that space where you can't reconcile the, the promises of God with the command that you sense God leading to? Like, you just can't, it's like this crucible inside that's pressing faith to the surface in your life. That's Abraham. He knows the promise of God, but yet he's also really clear here on a really difficult directive, a command of God, and he's trying to reconcile those two. Well, the New Testament gives us insight into like Abraham's mind here because the New Testament, Hebrews 11, here's what, jot this down in your notes, Hebrews eleven nineteen. Here's what it says about this scene. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. That's what Hebrews 11 says about this scene. What does that tell you about Abraham, what his intent was? That means Abraham, as we'll see in a moment when he raises the knife, his intent was he is going to sacrifice Isaac. This wasn't just, I'm going to go through the motions and then pull out like right at the last second. Nope. 
Abraham reasoned that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead because he knew Isaac was the son, and he knew the nation was coming through. And he also knew God said, sacrifice him here. So the only thing he could do, God's going to raise him from the dead. So there's a movement in this obedience and the difficult directives. The second part of the journey here for Abraham is, do you, can you feel it? Can you feel the eye of faith that gets pressed to the surface, that has to look into this space that you just can't see? You can't understand. It just seems really confusing. You've got clarity on what God wants you to do. You step out and step, but you can't reconcile it with what were the obvious promises God to get. That's the second movement. That's a Moriah-type place. Now stay with me. Let's see what happens here for the third movement. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. And Isaac spoke up and said to his father, said to Father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So this is why we think, best guess is Isaac's probably around 15 years old. He's old enough to carry the wood. He's old enough to have a dialogue like this. He's, he's probably in his teen years. And there's this, right? He's probably participated in a lot of sacrificial offerings with his dad before. And so he's got the wood. He's got the fire. He's got the altar. He's got the whole scene, but he's missing. Uh, where's the lamb? You picture this? like, And then dad just... <laughs> Dad probably trying to put, figure out how he's going to put these uh, words together. Abraham answered, verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. I would have loved it if we could have had some insertion about the dialogue that occurred. We don't get any of the back and forth. You can just Put yourself in the shoes of if you have a 15-year-old son, you might imagine the kind of dialogue you might be having here, you know, as like, Dad, what's going on? And what are you doing? And are you crazy? Like all these things. And uh, he bound him, and then he reached out his hand and took the knife, verse 10, to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Never has he been so grateful to hear that name, I'm sure. Notice the same thing at the beginning of the chapter. Abraham, and the same response Abraham gives, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy, verse 12. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Underline that phrase, you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. So the Jews call this scene the Akita. Here's a picture of the Akita. A-K-E-A-K-E-A. D-A-H. This is the Akita. This is a French painter in the 1600s rendition of the Akita. They call it the binding of Isaac. That's what this phrase means. And I just want you to soak in the imagery for a minute and just kind of put yourself emotion experientially there. That there's Isaac, there's Abraham, there's the angel of the Lord, and there's the scene. He's He's got the knife in his hand, and it's already clear his intent was to follow through, and the angel comes and says, I just, just wanted to make sure. And so the third movement of Moriah, it has to do with God dealing with this withholding places in our hearts. I want you to think of it this way. I want you to think about how God comes to the too much places in our hearts. When so much becomes too much, it's up Moriah you go. 
So Isaac meant so much to them as parents. I mean, he was the promise. He was the nation. He, was, he just meant so much to them. But so much moved to too much. It was just, you know, he just got, it was just centered too much around him. It was, if there was ever a child-centered home, it was that home. It just went too close, too directive, too covering, too protective. So much moved to too much. Or to put it another way, you know, having a child is a good thing. Being a parent is a good thing. When a good thing moves to an ultimate thing, the Bible term for that is idolatry. When good goes to ultimate, it's idolatry. And where God deals with the Isaacs, when the so much becomes too much, when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it's Moriah. It's where God's saying and sifting inside of Abraham, and no doubt later that night when he goes home to tell Sarah the whole story, definitely a lot of sifting inside of Sarah happened. Like, so much move, you know, too much, like too much got crucified, got laid down on that altar area. Because I happen to believe this is probably the first time the concept of helicopter parenting ever came to be. It didn't start with suburban North America in our generation. I think this is our first instance of helicopter parenting. Come on now. If Abraham and Sarah at 90 and 100 have this child, I mean moms, how many of you said to your fellow mom friends, oh, we're so done. I'm not having no anymore. We're done, done, done. I put the little card by the phone, the whole deal. Like, we're done. Do you imagine Sarah at 100? After 25 years of trying, she was so done at 75, way done at 85, written off, gone at 95. I mean, just done, done, done. And so when Isaac comes to mom and dad and says, hey, the boys down the street are going cliff jumping down the way. You ain't. Not you. No cliff jumping for you, buddy. I mean, if there was ever a, a hovering and a protecting, and a, hey, buddy, you're going to stay close to us, you know, nothing on the edges of risk. Because they knew, like, this young man's got to grow up, he's got to meet a wife, he's got to bear children, the nation of Israel's got to keep going, because Abraham and Sarah look in the mirror and go, we're done, done, done with all this. It's helicopter parenting at a whole new level. And I think this is where you get our insight. You're like, why? Why does God ask him to go up Moriah with this? Because he saw in there, it's what the angel of the Lord said to him. The angel's words gives us insight into what this third movement's about. It's a movement into the withholding places of his heart. He's saying, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac's meant too much to you. It's too much. He's been too, it's, your whole life is wrapped up in him. It's too much. So much is okay. Too much, good thing, ultimate thing. And this happens as parents, right? Especially those of you as younger parents. It's so easy to shift from being, you know, maybe the marriage has priority and your relationship with God has priority. Then you introduce a baby into the equation and you introduce multiple young children. And all of a sudden you look up and you go, your whole life is centered around all these young kids. And it all of a sudden becomes very child-centered. And you have so much love for them and they require so much attention. And it moves from so much to too much. Being a parent is a really good thing. Having children is a wonderful thing. It just can't be the ultimate thing. Even marriage itself. Marriage is a wonderful thing. Having a companion, a wonderful thing. It just can't be the ultimate thing. Having a career you enjoy and thrive at is a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God to work and to do it as an act of worship. It just can't be the ultimate thing. 
Being successful financially, there's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful to be able to achieve and accomplish and be rewarded for your work. That's a good thing, just to make sure it's the ultimate thing. Because when good becomes ultimate, it's up, Mariah, you go. When so much becomes too much, God comes to deal with the withholding places. Do you see that language? I just wanted to make sure you weren't going to withhold because that tells me God was like, Abraham, you've got such a tight grip on Isaac. I'm not, I'm not sure we even can get your identity detached from his, which can happen sometimes as a parent. Your identity gets so wrapped up in your children, you don't even know who you are anymore. That, that's, so, that's when it comes too much. And God comes to Moriah. He says, hey, lay down those kids. Lay down that marriage. Lay down that career. Lay down that ministry. It can happen in ministry context. Lay it down. I want to deal with the withholding place. One of my favorite writers, as you know, is A.W. Tozer. He wrote this in one of his famous works called The Pursuit of God. He said, after that bitter and blessed experience, speaking about Genesis 22, I think the words, my and mine, never again had the same meaning for Abraham. The sense of possession, which they connote, was gone from his heart. Things had been cast out forever. They had now become external to the man. His inner heart was free from them. Listen to this. He could not explain it, but he knew that he owned nothing, that his real treasures were inward and eternal. Do you see the imagery here? Like, Abraham eventually comes down the mountain with Isaac. He still has Isaac, but he doesn't possess him. Do you see the difference? He has him, he just doesn't possess him. That's the movement of Moriah. That's when you know Moriah's done a good work. When the grip has gotten loose, you still have him. I have this picture of like, I'm sure he had a death grip on Isaac walking up the mountain, like squeezed his hand, right? Kids in the room, you know, sometimes mom and dad, we, we squeeze your hands real tight and those like danger areas are just, you know, hold, hold, hold us real tight. You know, I think he held Isaac really tight all the way up the mountain. And then on the other side of Moriah, I think it was this. He still had him, but he didn't possess him. Have your children, just don't possess them. Have your spouse, don't possess that. Have your career, don't possess it. Have your ministry, don't possess it. Because that's when so much moves to too much. That's when a good thing moves to an ultimate thing. And that's when we're invited. God loves us enough to come to us and say, it's an Akita moment. It's a lay that Isaac down. I'm coming for your heart. I'm coming to set you free. I'm coming to change your vocabulary of, from the me and mine picture. So do you see the three movements so far? The question isn't whether you're going to get to Moriah. The question is when you get there, perhaps Abraham can be a guide for us here. And the first movement is there's going to be something in the space of a difficult directive of God, which is going to thrust us into this place of an, an eye of faith that's going to squeeze out whatever ounces of faith have been built in there through the decades of a life with God, that there's going to be like, look at what you can't see. Believe God can make a way when it's clear we have no idea what the way is. And then know that at the core of it, there's going to be something in the withholding spaces of the heart. He's coming for an Isaac. It's an Akita moment. He's trying to get you to loosen the grip, to still have it but not possess it. In the language of the Old Testament, it's dealing with the high places and the idols in the heart. Augustine said it's the rightly ordering of the loves of the heart. That's Moriah. 
Rightly order the loves. That's the fruit of Moriah, which leads us to the fourth and final point and movement in the story. Verse 13, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. Abraham had seen thousands of rams in his life that was the best-looking ram he had ever seen. Can you imagine? Just imagine everything that was in his heart at that moment. Because before, he didn't see the ram. Isn't this just like God? Like, God could have, like, told him on the front end, hey, there's going to be a ram in a thicket over here, just need you to go through, it's there. That's not how it works in life with God. Because uncertainty is the soil where the roots of faith get pressed down. we got to go to Moriah. We can't see our way through. That's when God comes and says, I'm going to deepen confidence in me. I'm going to deepen trust in me. He's going to bear some scars on the other side of this, but there's going to be some things built in Abraham on the other side. That's why there's not a blip on his screen after Moriah. He just soars off into glory. But a whole bunch of ups and downs from Chen. Genesis 12 to 22, but from 22 onward, it's this, Mariah. said, there's a ram in a thicket. I'm sure you've been like, oh, Lord. I'm sure the tears were flowing, and I'm sure Isaac, huh? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the life lesson in that young teenage boy? Unbelievable. The stories he had to tell the conversations he had to have with his own friends. It's like, hey guys, well you were cliff jumping this afternoon, dad and I got to tell you, neighbor, there's a ram in a thicket. Here's what, the, here's what Isaac, or Abraham sees. He went over there, took the ram and sacrificed it. It's a burnt offering instead of his own son. <laughs> so Abraham called that place, underline this, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So I didn't show you the picture. I want you to see a picture of Mount Moriah today. Dave, sorry, I jumped ahead on you there on the slides. But there's, here's a picture. When I was on my Israel trip in 2017, this is a picture of Mount Moriah. I was standing across the way. Do you know that today, Mount Moriah, there's a mosque over the top of the altar that they believe Abraham laid Isaac on. The Muslim world built a mosque over the top of it. It's called the Dome of the Rock. That's what you see on CNN and all your news feeds. When I was there in 2017, I was so excited knowing the story. I'm like, I, I want to go to the Dome of the Rock. I want to see the altar. There's supposedly amazing inscriptions in there. And so I was trying to make my way there. And the local said, you know, obviously I stood out. I, I, I don't look like, right? So they're like, you can't go to the Dome of the Rock today. I said, well, why not? I want to see the altar area, the Genesis 22. You know, I was so excited. So it's Ramadan. I said, oh, I said, 300,000 Muslims in the courtyard. And you don't look like you belong over there. You can't go. Off limits to Jews and Christians during Ramadan. Because it's a Muslim holy site. And they dictate days you can have tours as a Christian and a Jew. What days you can go in. And, and then depending on who your tour guide is, depending on the story you get. You with me? But that's, that's Mariah. That's where the journey went. That's the space. I'm standing here, and that's the uh, wailing wall, by the way. I'm standing, and the wailing wall's down there on the lower part of that picture. I'm standing and looking across, and I'm just trying to take in the amount of history right there in this scene. And thinking the commentary on that piece of real estate is on the mountain. The Lord will provide. That's what comes forth from that. 
And so worship team, why don't you come on up? Here's how we're going to wrap up today. No doubt, some in the room, some online. No doubt today, some of you feel right in step with Abraham. Some of you feel like you've been on your Mount Moriah journey for a lot longer than a few weeks. It might be months, it might be years. Some of you feel like you've set up camp, like your new residence is Moriah. And I just want to, in a moment, lead us through a prayer where we just examine and say, okay, Lord, this is often the story. Often notice Abraham didn't choose Moriah. It was chosen for him. That's, that's what happens, right? We, we don't just set out to go on a journey. No, no. The Lord said, hey. So it's, it's often chosen for us, all kinds of circumstances. Others may choose it for us. The Lord may direct, whatever it is. But you find yourself in this space. It's a crossroad of surrender. And so is this morning, is the place, the wrestling match over, is it, is it kind of a wholehearted obedience step God's calling for? Like, it's a difficult directive, and, and you see it, and you hear it, and you know it. You, you just, you're just trying to get your place to that, yes, I will, and to open that up and say, Lord, I, I hear, I see, I know, I just help, help me surrender. Like when the disciples came to Jesus, help my unbelief. You know, I just help, Lord. Or maybe some of you have have agreed, you've you've surrendered to that step, but you've come to this place where you're just staring at it and you just go, "Uh, we will worship and we will come back to you. Man, Lord, I need the eye of faith. Sharpen the eye of my faith. I want to look at what I can't see. Stir something up in that space. Maybe that's where you're at. Saying, God, I need you to deepen my confidence that you can make a way when clearly I have no idea the way. Or perhaps this morning it's it's the third movement for Abraham. Maybe it's the withholding place. Maybe you feel like God's coming to you and saying, so much has become a too much. A good thing has become an ultimate thing. And today maybe it's time to name it. And it's an Akita moment. It's time to lay it down. And then that collectively, I want us to see this, that on the mountain of the Lord, it will be, the Lord will provide. Like, the only way to and through Moriah is with God. Like, if you're trying to navigate Moriah in your own wisdom and strength, that might be the definition of why it's going like it's going. You can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. Your friends can't do it. With God. God is the way to and through Moriah. Moriah is ultimately going to be about a revelation of Him and a transformation of us. That's the outflow of all this. He's going to reveal Himself and He's going to change some stuff in us. So bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'm going to read one final Tozer quote and then pray for us. The Tozer quote's in your notes, so just listen here. If we are set upon the pursuit of God, He will sooner or later bring us to this test. Abraham's testing was at the time not known to him as such. Yet if he had taken some course other than the one he did, the whole history of the Old Testament would have been different. God would have found his man, no doubt, but the loss to Abraham would have been tragic beyond telling. 
So, hear this now. We will be brought one by one to the testing place. And we may never know when we are there. At that testing place, there will be no dozen possible choices for us. Just one and an alternative. But our whole future will be conditioned by the choice we make. Let's pray together. Jesus, just believe you've got some people right there at their own personal Mariah. This testing and sifting, this crossroad of surrender. Would you pour out your spirit now? Come to them like you did to Abraham. Grant them what they need. May this be a with God moment. Blessing them with obedience or or strengthening the eye of their faith or getting them to loosen the grip on what's being withheld. That collectively, would you build a vocabulary in us to say on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Make a way, Lord. Come through. We name it. We open it up to you. We ask for your help and strength. Meet us here in this space. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.